Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. Don't skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and we have an amazing show here for you today. I know I say that every time we get on air. Today, I feel like our guest offers a different perspective on life, and he has some insight that I'm really excited to share and to be able to offer to you all. But before we bring on this amazing gentleman, I actually have some guests here in the studio from out of town who are very close and near and dear, especially from college. So I want to bring them on and give them the opportunity to say hello. So everyone here in the studio, please say hello. Introduce yourself, starting with Miss Jordan. Hi, my name is Jordan Sands. And I'm nine years old. Okay, cool. Hello, everyone. This is Shani, and we're here visiting from Atlanta, and we're just here having a good time. Hello, everyone. This is Sadia. I'm here from Durham, North Carolina. Shout out to Bull City. Okay, shout out to Bull City. So tell me, y'all been here? Y'all here in New York? How's it been for you so far? It's been pretty good. It's been fun. It's been very interesting. Why so? Because it's my first time being here. Okay. Your first time being here? Did you get to take the train? Did you Yes, take the bus? I got to take the train. I got to take the airplane, too. Okay. So it was very compelling. Was that your first time on the airplane? No. Okay. You've but been my first time this, huh? on the train. Okay. Okay. Love it. Okay, Shani, tell us a little bit about your business and what you got going on. So, again, my name is Shani. I'm my business. I'm a makeup artist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm here with my family, my daughter, Showing them around New York City as I used to live here a few years ago, many moons ago. So I'm bringing them back, showing them around the city and kind of enjoying our summer vacation. Okay. I am currently a senior in nursing school at North Carolina Central University. So shout out to NCCU. So I'm just here visiting. We did a family reunion a few days ago. So we decided to keep going up north. All the way to Queen City. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for being here in the studio with us. Happy to have you here. As you know, this is going to be an amazing interview. So without further ado, I am going to introduce our guest. So thank you, ladies, for being here. Beautiful people, when it comes to our guests, resiliency, creativity, grit, and determination define this man. And I would say that these cornerstone characteristics of American innovation and entrepreneurship are foundation of his personal and professional DNA. As co-founder and CEO of ConCreates, he identifies value by tapping into personal experiences and creative energy and combining them with data analytics, technology, and on-the-ground networks to develop lasting business solutions. 
He leverages practical skills and knowledge gained through the trial and error in high stakes environments into tools and builds compelling business opportunities for clients. At the heart of Concreates is a uniquely powerful, creative, innovative machine that mends the best of the street cred and smarts with 21st century data analysis and digital technologies. Concreates has access to the untapped resourcefulness and positive vision that is located in America's incarcerated and formerly incarcerated populations. The concept of side hustle is now part of popular lexicon, but he and his team at Concreates are uniquely experienced at creating equity and value without exploitation. His guiding principle is to provide positive opportunities for underserved communities while exceeding clients' expectations and marketing needs with creative campaigns that are on time and on budget. So without further ado, Create Your Life family, please welcome Mr. Vincent Bragg. Vincent, please say hello to the Create Your Life fam. How are you guys? Um, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great introduction. Oh, man, it's a great bio, man. And Create Your Life family, if you know anything and if you've been listening, as I know you have, when we had Janae Griffin, the commercializer, on the show, then we also had Vincent here. So we got an opportunity to hear a bit about his story then. So, Vince, man, how have you been, man? What's transpired since the last time you were on air here with the Create Your Life family? Oh, wow. I don't really know where to start with that. There's so much going on. I mean, we've made so many different alliances and partnerships and just some beautiful things coming through the pipeline for Concreates in the future as far as from a political standpoint and obviously from a creative standpoint. I think you guys can expect to see some wonderful campaign ideas coming out and some great alliances with some really big brands and some great politicians on the Hill who decide the new laws and whatnot. So cool. I love it. Vince, man, I want to jump right in because you have so much knowledge and such a unique perspective, I feel, to offer to us. Can you tell me about growing up? I know you're from the Los Angeles area. Like, where exactly are you from in L.A.? And what was that like growing up? Well, for me, I'm originally from Watts, California, and grew up in a city called Palmdale, which is kind of like what's been going on. I think a lot of people haven't really realized or seen the actual strategy behind gentrification. So they go to these cities, they offer these vouchers for individuals or families to move to cheaper areas to live. And then they come back in and rebuild those places and make it unaffordable for the individuals who are from there. Mm-hmm. But I guess a step in between that is once they get those people to move out of those areas, the people who haven't left, that's when they come in and they do their sweeps and they raid and they send people to prison. And the individuals that's left over are the ones who are offered monies or whatever to kind of move out of their areas. Okay. And so for you, how did this affect you growing up in Watts? I think for me, just to kind of see how things were, like the lack of opportunity, the struggle is real in communities like Watts and Compton and places like that. I think it's just a rough environment where everybody's doing what they got to do to survive. I think I was blessed in a sense to be raised by my grandparents who kind of had the foresight to say, you know what, we don't want our descendants or our offspring to grow up in the streets or be in gangs and things like that. So they took that opportunity and moved us out of there Mm -hmm. and helped us to get an education. Okay. And in that, you 
somehow still ended up in the streets. Can you tell us about your experience with being in the street? What led you there? For me, it was just, I guess I always had this big vision of being not necessarily a celebrity, but kind of being an influencer in a sense like, hey, I was into music and things like that. And also just being a nerd, I think a lot of individuals that I came up around, I just had a huge identity crisis, right? I wasn't white enough for the white kids. I wasn't black enough for the black kids. And the black kids would make fun of me for being smart or talking white or whatever. And so I always kind of felt like I had to prove like I was down. I'm cut from the same cloth or I'm cool too. So that kind of led me down the wrong path of just being in the streets. And once I got to that point, I left my house at 15 and it just became a survival thing at that point. Okay, so you leave your house at 15, you go into survival mode. What are your activities that lead you, or how do you survive? What is that pattern like? It was all sorts of things. I mean, it was sleeping at different people's houses, you know. It was selling weed. It was stuff I kind of don't want to mention because stuff I never got caught for. Let's put it like that. Okay. Speaking of getting caught, you ended up, while you were in the street, getting involved in a drug game. What exactly led you into that? And what was that experience like? Well, that's an interesting way it came about. So at one point I lived in Georgia, worked at a steel plant. I worked at McDonald's. I had two jobs simultaneously. I think for a few months on there, I probably slept two, three hours a night. Um, I ended up cutting my head, almost died. And I told myself I would never work for somebody again because I tried to sue the company. And they're like, oh, you would have had to die in order to get money. So I told myself I would never work for someone again. Wow. I got my income tax check, came back to California. And my goal, I guess, for coming back with my income tax check was to buy five pounds of marijuana, take it back to Georgia and be able to provide artists who were coming into my studio with an opportunity to smoke and be creative and at the same time pay bills. So the guy that I approached was a friend of mine that I went to school with and I told him I needed five and he told me he could only bring me two. So I'm like, okay, cool. He calls me up. He's like, come help me. I come outside. Apparently, he thought I meant 500 pounds a week because he brought me 200. And basically told me it's yours. I can't take it back, so figure it out. And I did. I figured it out. I got it back to Georgia, got rid of it, and that kind of started the trek. Mm-hmm. Okay, so walk us through the evolution of that. So you start off with 200 pounds of marijuana, and you ultimately end up selling a different substance, I guess you could put it. Right, so one of the terms, I guess, what they call a re-up, mm-hmm. I came back, ended up getting arrested. I had 100 pounds of weed in the car. It was an inadmissible search and seizure, so I only did like three days before the DA had to drop the case. And when I went back to my guy, he was like, see what you can do with these 10 keys of coke. And so I did. I took 10 keys of cocaine and got rid of it in like a day and a half. And I became addicted. The money came really fast. It was, it changed my life. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about, I guess, the high life when things are going super well and you basically at the top of your game. 
So, I mean, yeah, I made a, a lot of money selling drugs. Lived in some of the most exclusive neighborhoods in California, mm -hmm. L.A. area, Beverly Hills, Bel Air, things like that. Drove really nice cars, had really nice things, beautiful women. It's just kind of like everything that, you know, everybody, like, dreams of. It was a wonderful feeling to feel loved and appreciated. Mm -hmm. Now, because of that, mm -hmm. obviously, we're going to get into me going to prison. I realized that that was a false sense of love, right? Like, I kept a lot of people around me. Right who kind of looked up to me or looked to me to kind of take care of them. And mm -hmm. when the feds come, a lot of people start to distance themselves from you. Not necessarily because they have something going on they don't want to get in trouble for, but just because they kind of feel like, oh, the money's going to dry up. So mm -hmm. let me figure out another opportunity. Mm -hmm. And during my prison sentence, you know, I kind of did a lot of self-evaluation and realized it was a lot of insecurity as a human being or as a man mm -hmm. that I had that led me down that path. I think that's deep when you talk, because a lot of times we talk about the power of friendships and why it's so important to keep people near you. But when you have this group, did you have any worries about yourself? Were you paranoid at all? I think I was more paranoid when, when everybody started to get indicted. I think that was kind of like the scary point for me. Mm -hmm. But during that time, it was like, it was like a party. You know? it just, it felt really good. People treated me differently because of the newfound status that I had. And people looked at me different and it made me feel better about myself mm -hmm. during that time. So paranoia wasn't really, if it was there, it wasn't accentuated. It wasn't something that I really paid attention to. Uh, gotcha. And in that, even though you had those highs, right, where you felt like everything was going great, everything was real. When you looked at yourself in the mirror, really evaluated yourself prior to going to jail, how did you feel? That's a really good question, and I take it back to actually being in prison. I never had that opportunity, right? Like, mm -hmm. I never had the opportunity to take a look at myself and think about the effects of what I was doing to other people in mankind. And it took for me to go to prison. Mm -hmm. before I actually got an opportunity to look at myself in the mirror and say, wait a minute, I can't push the blame on the people who told on me or who sent me to prison. Like, I have to really look at my actions and how that played a role in this movie. Gotcha. Okay, so you've mentioned that you went to prison. Can you tell us about what you were sentenced for and how that all came about? Yeah, so I ended up getting indicted. The charge was conspiracy to possess with intent to distribute 50 kilograms of cocaine. Well, 15 to 50 kilograms is what the actual charge said. So because of that, I ended up taking a deal. I went to prison. During that time, that's where I kind of found myself, if you will. I studied law, corporate law, real estate law. I read over 450 books. I wrote three books. I organized cancer walks. You name it. I just became a machine. Okay. How long did they sentence you to and how much time did you actually serve? Yeah, so they gave me 121 months, which is 10 years, one month in federal prison. <laughs> and due to some discrepancies with my lawyers, they were basically robbing me. I ended up serving five years, one month, 22 days. How does one turn a sentence around like that? I feel like you rarely hear of that, especially in Fed time. 
I think that's a misconception. I think a lot of people take deals in, in the federal system because we're taught by our predecessors, people who have done it before, who kind of are like the feds have a 97% conviction rate. You don't really want to fight them, this and that. And what people don't realize is there's an 87% overturn rate mm. just to kind of show you that they always kind of do something they jump the gun, they, they do something, right? There's always some small piece of evidence or small piece of information that could potentially set you free if you really want to pursue that. Okay. Now, what you just said to me was equivalent to basically being educated, right? So the the big misconception, as you just highlighted, is, is that people think that Essentially, the feds are always correct in that you're going to have to serve that time. But speaking of being educated, earlier you and I had a side conversation. And you talked about why it's so important to be informed no matter what you're doing, what type of business that you're in. Can you talk a little bit more about that and expand upon it? Some of the yeah, businesses? so I mean, we could talk about it from a business standpoint or you could talk about it from a street standpoint. I think it's all applicable across the board when you really look at it, but to be informed, I like to look at it from a street level because we talked mm -hmm. about music and how that influences the culture. Exactly. And I People's feel actions. that's something that we're never getting both sides of the story. I mean, even when you read these self-help books, there's never a step-by-step -step in how to become this particular type of person or this particular type of business, right? It's like there's always these missing details. No one's really giving you all sides of the story. So you got guys that are driving nice cars and living in nice houses and wearing jewelry and having all the girls and all of that, but they're not telling you the other side to the coin, which is you could end up better in jail. Someone can do this. Or we never really had those same guys who had been to prison saying, look, they can only give you this if you get caught for this, right? Mm -hmm. And... I think that kind of messes everything up because you got the government or the DEA, whoever's approaching you saying, Oh, we're going to give you life or we're going to give you 30 years. And you're like, I don't want to do 30 years. Not knowing like this particular crime only causes for five. Right. So to be able to have that conversation and be informed well before you get into whatever it is you, you have a plan to step into, I think you need to always be educated on whatever subject or whatever type of business or whatever type of endeavor you wish to step out on. Okay. So with that, what is your opinion about the state of music, rap music, and a lot of music that does inform the culture? I mean, I think you got a lot of guys who who are conscious, right? Who are woke, or I guess that's the new thing, right? Be, stay woke. Right. You got a lot of guys that are, but maybe they don't have the same machine behind them as the ones who are promoting the opposite side. But it's just like anything in the world. There's multiple publications. There's multiple radio shows. There's multiple television programs. And they all have different perspectives. So you need to kind of do your research and really listen to all sides before you can really form an opinion. I like that. And when you talk about forming all sides, there's an interesting subject that, you, that you're very passionate about, and that's the census and the misconception around it. Can you elaborate on your view? on the census and why it's important to be counted. Well, yeah, in. I think the census is super important because that's how 
they allocate dollars to our communities. That's how they outline our congressional districts. That's how they pick juries, for that matter. So when we talk about mass incarceration, and we're supposed to, as a constitutional right, be able to be tried in front of a jury of our peers, that never really happens because we're not being counted in the census. And when you think about some of these Latino communities or African-American communities, people come up to your door asking all these questions. For one, we're not answering the door. For two, you want to ask all these questions. I might be on Section 8. I don't want to lose my Section 8 behind you asking me how many people live here and this and that. Right? It's this whole misconception of what the census really does for you. Even when you vote, like if there's a million people that live in your district and two million people vote, a million of those votes won't count because it's not reflective of the census. So everybody's talking about voting, voting, voting. Yes, voting is very important, but the census is foundational to that. Okay, gotcha. All right, so moving on. You being there and being incarcerated for the five years that you did, you read 450 Uh, books. What are some of the most influential books that you've read? Uh, so many, but I love the process of I, the letter I, written by a woman named Emily Moroshian. It's, I guess, the sophisticated simplicity. It's about 182 pages of analogies and different things that you could kind of grasp as far as like how to affect your environment based on the way that you think. So that book is just really phenomenal. And speaking of phenomenal, the Jewish phenomenon obviously was a book that really had an impact on me. And I could go down a whole list, but I guess top three would probably be Process of I, Jewish Phenomenon, and Thick Face Black Heart. I would definitely have to give a shout out to Robin Saul Lieberman for the Charisma Code. Why these books? Tell us a bit more about these books. You gave us the titles, but why these ones in particular, The Jewish Code? Well, I think Thick Face Black Heart is a business book. It was written by a Chinese businesswoman Mm -hmm. who kind of shows you how to separate your emotions from business, right? I think that's a very great concept when you think about being attached to an idea or actually even doing business with people you might not like, right? The Jewish phenomenon, the reason why that was so powerful to me is because it kind of shows you exactly why the Jewish people of the world are just so successful and and how they did it. It kind of gives you those steps. And like I said, the process of I is just so influential because of how simple I feel like most people can pick up this book and grasp it. And it really takes you on this journey of self-exploration. And mentioning the Charisma Code, I believe the Charisma Code kind of shows you your currency is your charisma. And being charismatic, and we all got this special sauce that we sometimes push to the side and not realize this is our actual currency. Mm, like that. Okay, so how did you learn to transcend your charisma? Because I know that what you said about growing up earlier is that the kids used to tease you and you weren't enough of this to be considered that. And so how did you learn to transcend your charisma, code? And how do you do it today? I think where I was brought to awareness of it mm-hmm. came from a guy who was like a next door neighbor to me while I was in prison. 
we used to argue a lot. You know, his name is Freeze. They called him Freeze. He's from Queens, New York. His real name, Raynard Chandler. I don't even know if I should be saying his name, but good friend of mine. We did our time together, and one day we had this conversation, and he was just like, you kind of got this nerdy gangster persona about you, and I thought he was insulting me. And I was trying to defend my personality and my way of being. And he was like, no, it's really cool, <laughs> right? I think it's really cool that you can come and talk to someone like me from the streets and also go and talk to some of these white-collar guys and billionaire people and stuff like that. I think it's really cool that you have that. So it kind of just made me explore that and kind of figure out is that a unique trait? And how do I capitalize on that? And I think it just all boils down to that self-realization and that authenticity that I believe I possess, where I think I relate to people on a human level more than the fact that we're in the same social class or we're the same political party or whatever people identify themselves as. Awesome. Well, uh, Vince and Create Your Life family, we're going to cut to a quick musical break, and then we'll come back. We'll have more questions from Mr. Vincent Bragg and dive deeper into Concrete. This episode is brought to you by Podcast Laundry, a podcast editing service that gives podcasters more time to be creative by handling the dirty work of editing and all of the behind-the-scenes work that podcasters hate. If you're a podcaster, check out our services and purchase a package today. Spend more time doing what you love and let Podcast Laundry do the dirty work for you. Visit podcastlaundry.com for more information. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and we are back with Mr. Vincent Bragg, founder of Concreates and CEO. Vince, are you here with us? I am. Okay, awesome. Before we left, you were talking about self-actualization and some of the things that helped you on your journey. I know there's a particular experience that you had when you first got in where a gentleman spoke to you a bit about arbitrage and what that means and things like that. So can you elaborate on that? Tell us a little bit more about how you came to learn that what you were doing in the drug game was similar to what white collar criminals were doing in their arenas. Yeah. So, I mean, it's super clear to me at this point, this individual basically kind of pulled me to the side. We lived in the same unit and he was just like, Oh, you're in the arbitrage. I heard about you. And I'm just like, what the heck is arbitrage? You know, I kind of, again, thought he was kind of making fun of me or whatever. And he explained to me that basically what arbitrage is, is if you buy rice in China, let's say at a dollar a pound, and you sell it to Jordan for $5 a pound, essentially, uh, that's what you were doing with drugs you would get it over here at this price and you would take it over there and sell it for this price and it clicked i mean it it felt like it just clicked how a lot of the skill sets that individuals use to operate criminal enterprises are transferable in the corporate arena you don't go to jail for it (laughs) you know when you when you look at it like that so I like to use the example of one of my guys successfully robbed 27 banks, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, 28 wasn't wasn't so successful. But for me, I always looked at that situation as well. Maybe he's a strategist, right? Like he created a plan and executed that plan successfully 27 times. And I know for a fact there are brands that will pay for that title. They will pay well for that title. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how 
Concreates was born. It was out of taking those onboarding by starting with these particular crimes and saying, how is this transferable in a creative space? How does right. this transfer into the corporate arena? Or how can we repurpose this skill set and show this individual a new perspective, a new way of thinking? And how do we build confidence and success out of that? Love it. So what do you feel like are a few of the key big differentiators between Concreates and other creative agencies? We have so many differentiating factors. I mean, first off, no one is utilizing the incarcerated and formerly incarcerated to mine ideas. I mean, most creative teams are comprised of six to 12 people. Us obviously having a large pool to mine for talent or ideas from sets us apart from any other creative agency out there. And when you think about the population of people that are in there, right? 80, 80% of them being African-American or Latino when African-American culture is the largest culture driving culture on the planet. Meaning we influence sports, we influence music, we influence fashion as African-Americans and having that perspective of the actual consumer, right? Because these people were consumers before they went to prison. I think obviously makes us really unique in itself as well. So, I mean, there's several differentiating factors. I think that sets us apart, but I think just the demographic of individuals that we target is so powerful within itself that is actually the biggest differentiating factor. Okay. Awesome. As a startup founder, what have been some of the lessons that you have learned and why do you feel that you are equipped to be a founder? For several reasons. One, I've done it before. This isn't my first rodeo. At one point in my life, I owned and operated one of the first and largest internet radio stations in the world. I mean, we had over 40 million listeners worldwide who tuned into our radio station, and we were ahead of our time. So I think when we talk about some of the lessons, I think one of the biggest lessons from that to building a cocaine empire to going to prison and now building this empire is hire the right people. You have to build a team. Like We can't sit back and say, Vincent Bragg, Vincent Bragg, Vincent Bragg. I might just be a representative, but there's an amazing team behind this organization. And that's the first thing. I think that was one of the reasons why we failed as a media company and a radio station was we hired guys we went to high school with. We put on friends and family and things like that not realizing it's important to go find people who are experts in that particular space or who are smarter than me. Like I said before, I always kept myself around people who looked up to me or people that felt like I was smarter than them. And I think that's the total opposite. I should be around people who are much smarter than me. Mm. Love it. Okay. You had mentioned this strategy earlier where people coaching and knowing talent versus class clowns with ADHD and how to basically mine talent and give people opportunities, which is obviously what you're doing with Concreates. Can you elaborate on the analogy that you made earlier and really just give us some insight into how we can use that in our everyday in order to mine talent and help people become their best? Well, yeah, like one of my 
associate told me a story about how this 14-year-old kid was being recruited to play Major League Baseball. And the question came up, like, how do you know that this kid will be able to play Major League Baseball when he's only 14? And the answer to that was, well, for one, leaders always separate themselves from the pack. You know, the saying that the cream always rises to the top. Now, with that being said, this is a natural raw talent that that individual has. So what needs to happen is it needs to be cultivated and polished. And that's what the recruiter's job is to do, is to put them with an organization or to put them with a coach who can actually polish out the rough edges. Because sometimes when you have raw talent, it might be an instinct for you to go left when this guy is coming in your direction. But why is it important for you to go left when this guy's coming in your direction like this, right? So, and that's kind of what the coaches and the athletic directors and things like that are tasked to do. And I also had this conversation with my cousin one day because his son was kind of getting in trouble in school and he's acting up and he's like, yo, he's a class clown. They keep calling him a class clown. And I'm like, well, how you don't know you don't got the next Kevin Hart? Why don't you guys write jokes together? Why don't you try to figure out maybe some sketch comedy ideas or take him to comedy club? Dave Chappelle started out in comedy club when he was like 14 years old. So, and he's one of the best to do it and being able to cultivate those things that we look at as defect sometimes are really what the talent is. It's just raw. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love it. I think that that's something that's very important. You have to feed people's talents and help them to see that, you know what, this might not necessarily be a bad thing because it's someone else's opinion. And it's like everybody thinks that when somebody's doing something out of the box that they might be crazy or something like that. And then later on, they love you for it. What is of your... course, and it, it's once you bubble is when they love you. I mean, right. think about it. Jesus was killed. They killed that man because of some of his radical principles. And yet today, 2000 and something years later, we still try to adhere to those principles. So mm -hmm. that would be some advice that I would also give too, is don't really pay too much attention. Because I can't say you can't pay attention to other people's opinions because sometimes you could just be unaware of the effects of your actions right so it's important to receive feedback from individuals but not in the sense where it kills your light right absolutely what would you say is your call to action for people like senators or people in the local community or someone who knows someone who's formerly incarcerated how can people get involved and help out with Concreates and what you're doing in order to mine the talent of those who are incarcerated and formerly incarcerated? Let's start with the numbers, right? The data basically states that there's 70 plus million people in this country with criminal histories. That's a huge number. That's one third of our population in this country that have been incarcerated or affected by incarceration in one way or another, right? And then you have the 2.4 million people who are behind bars currently. You have 600 and something thousand men and women and children being released from prison every year. So these numbers are huge. So my first call to action would be, if you have been affected by mass incarceration, if you have criminal history, hit us up, concreates.com. 
and let's bring you into the organization and really start to help you cultivate what it is you're good at and where you can shine at and how you can make a living off of that. And if you're a brand, and especially one of the 3,100 big brands that benefit off of slave labor, if you want to buy back your conscience, let's partner. Let's figure out a way to not exploit the men and women who are behind bars and the children who are behind bars, but give them tools, right? Let's give them transferable skill sets. And that's the next thing for the politicians. It's not just about housing individuals. It's not just about feeding them and being a burden on taxpayers. You guys need to start offering programs like Concrete that teaches a transferable skill set where these individuals can come home and say, hey, I'm the guy that worked on such and such campaign, or hey, I'm the woman that helped rebrand whatever company that might have been, where they can actually not necessarily have to come and work for my creative agency. They can go work for another creative agency, or in turn, they can literally start their own company, and now they know what it takes in order to market and brand and promote that company. Got you. I love it. All right, well. I think I got a little passionate right there. But, hey, but yeah. the, the passion matters, man. That way we know that this matters to you. That being said, let's jump right into the dolphin tank. Can you swim? <laughs> no, not as a, like as a human, no. <laughs> well, I think you can handle this. We're not sharks. We're just dolphins. A little more friendlier. So for you, I guess I would say, what's the top tech that you're using right now to make your business run smoothly? Top tech right now is just outsourcing, right? Just being able to outsource tasks and get things done faster. I think that's what makes us move efficiently. Okay. What is your favorite quote or model that you live by? My favorite quote or model? Man, my guy Marcus Glover, he said something to me that kind of stuck with me. And I know I'm going to butcher this, but the quote is, it says something like, the wounds... The scars from the battle is actually what allows the light to shine through. Okay. Like that. Favorite or most impactful book that you've read? Process of I, hands down. Okay. Three jewels that you would tell someone looking to create their best life? Three jewels. One, know thyself. Mm -hmm. Two, know your audience. Three, Read as much as you can. I think reading is so important as far as diversity and thought. And I just think reading is so, 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 so instrumental in creating your best life. Okay. Awesome. What's next for you and Concreates? What's next for me is actually now I want to start to build facilities that we can start to place in every major metropolitan city that becomes a home for the formerly incarcerated to come and be trained in the process of marketing and branding and just the things that come with that. How do you create assets, Photoshop, Illustrator, Final Cut, Pro Tools, to really just training the individuals. I think that's the next big thing for us. Okay. And you know what, Vince, I want to ask you, what is one of the key components that helped you to be able to transition back into society. A lot of times you see people who become repeat offenders. How did you manage not to do that? What was your transition like back into society? Well, I mean, my circumstance was a little bit different than I think the traditional story. So I came home to a house, right? Like I came home to family. I had a great support system 
while I was in prison. And being able to come out to that same support system made the transition much easier for me. So I can't really answer that question properly because my experience was different. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for anyone who's coming back out and working to get back into society? Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the best thing is to start while you're in prison chart your course, like figure out what it is you want. And a lot of people don't realize vision and goals are two different things, right? And then steps are even another thing. So if you have a goal, that's the end result. The vision is the bigger picture. And then the steps are the little things that it takes in order for you to achieve that goal and to step into the bigger picture. So if you're able to create that before you come home, then you'll walk out like I did. Like, I knew what I needed to do. I went to go get my credit fixed. I went to go get my license. I knew each step of the way, like, what I was going to do from day one. Got you. And what's the first thing that you did when you got out? <laughs> I just did five years in prison. What you think I did? Hey, brother, I, <laughs> I can make a lot of guesses, but I'll leave the answers to you. <laughs> I think the first thing I did was uh, I ate. Mm. Okay. All right, cool. That being said, we've concluded the Q&A part of the interview for you. And now we are going to do the turnaround where you essentially get to ask me any questions that you want to. And I have to answer. So create your life family. You know, this is about to get interesting. Vincent is definitely an interesting person. <laughs> so Vince, man, I'm all yours, brother. All right. So my first question would be, what did you hope to accomplish out of this interview? My goal was to tell your story, to speak about the narrative of making a mistake, getting out and being able to make something of yourself afterwards, but also to debunk some of the myths around this lifestyle that's glorified. So it was that for me, but also to promote what it is that you're doing. I think that what you're doing is amazing and granting these opportunities to people so that they can come out and be supported and use their genius because essentially this is an entire population that is oftentimes treated like lepers that has a lot to offer to the world and to society and they are not being appreciated as such and they're not having the opportunity to do it and so right. i really wanted to help i believe in your message i believe in your mission and what you're doing and having had the opportunity to spend some time around you man it's funny i identify with some of those characteristics that people said about you that nerdy personality and way of being with a slight edge i can relate to that just mm -hmm. kind of always walking in your own lane and doing your own thing definitely so my next question would be what's your why why do you do what you do why is this an important series or show or platform for you i think it's important because a lot of times we only get half of the picture and I think that when I bring people on my show, the difference that separates us from other shows is why you do what you do, that's cute, that's cool. What you do, that's all right. How you did it is the most important. Only thing that we can really duplicate is your how. And to me, right. that is, is so important. And it's the real thing because I remember doing research and being in particular industries and then thinking that it's one thing because that's all that's being told to me. And then I'm looking at it and I'm saying, man, this is smoke and mirrors. This right. is not really how it goes. And people are being tricked and they're uninformed about what this really is. All self-help books, you only get half of the story. And I wanted to interject and say, hey, man, you know what? Except for in my books, because <laughs> I just give you the full transparency. Hey, man, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. What you need to do with it. And I hope that you do so that you could go on. And I want to offer yeah. that type of value to people. And that's why the series matters to me. That and the fact that I think that it's necessary 
and we need to have a voice. People like you need to have a voice. So why not be the outlet? I think I'm pretty good at asking a couple questions here and there because I'm a naturally curious person. It's fun and it's mine, you know, so. Right. Yeah. So I think on a lighter note, what do you do when you're not trying to save the world? Usually probably joking. One of my favorite things to do is to think I'm in go mode at least 98% of the time I'm thinking of how to create something bigger. So creativity really matters to me. I might hang out with some of my friends. Yesterday I was at a cookout with some family. I might be somewhere salsa dancing, trying to figure out why things work the way that they do. That's like a big thing for me is really trying to figure out how things work, why things work, and why stuff is the way that it is. Looking at different angles of history to really understand that this thing really happened or is it being told to us in this particular way. So the next question would be, what advice would you have to the people who listen to you to create their best life? I would say, number one, believe. Believe that you can actually do it. That's one of the biggest things for me. I have a certain presentation where I say that in order to create your best life, you need to have three things. Two ears, two feet, and belief. Right? The two ears so that you can listen. The two feet so that you can take action. And the belief, which is the most powerful, so that you can overcome when things get hard. Or when things are going great, you can keep your composure. 6% of people live out their childhood dreams and 8% of people actually complete their yearly goals. And so that's what Create Your Life is here to do. We're your motivation. And you're consistently hearing people who are millennial professionals. These are success hacks and hows from real people in real life, them literally telling you their story and why it matters. Like one of the biggest things that you even said today was you talked about where you split your head open and they weren't going to pay you because they was like, yo, you're going to have to be dead in order for us to have paid you. Now right. think about that. There's this meme floating around on social media that says you working hard day and night, sacrificing time with family, et cetera, et cetera, for a job that will replace you a week after you're dead. Right. So the value of life and what it is that you need has to be bigger than just work and monetary, et cetera, et cetera. And only Absolutely. you know what that level of success and what success looks like for you. I made up this quote a long time ago. It's success is determined by the dreamer, but achieved with guidance. Right. And that means that, like that what your definition of success, Vince, might be different from mine, but it doesn't make either one of us either less successful. What your parents' definition of success for you might not be what you want for yourself. So therefore, it's up to you and it's your responsibility to go and create and have that level of success that you want for yourself and to achieve that. Not what everybody else is thinking. Right. I need people to hold on to that quote right there. Yeah, yeah bro. After listening, I need them to take that one. Yes, sir. And man, we got people on, on Facebook Live right. loving this interview, man. We got Danielle. We have Tavana, Jamari, Aisha, Alex, Dana Lucille, Alex George. Shout out to everybody on Facebook Live tuning in. Any other questions, Vince? Yeah, I think I would like to just, you know, do some shout outs myself. Please Obviously, do. I want to shout out the studio for having this interview. I think this is a valuable show. I appreciate you having me on. I want to shout out my business partner, Janae Griffin. I want to shout out Anya Lewis, Demetria Gallagher, some of my guys behind bars, my man Donnell Young, Big Halftime. You should check him out on Instagram. He, this dude is amazing. Like, he's literally behind bars, but he sells shoes and <laughs> is a cryptocurrency investor. Like, it's insane the brilliance that is behind bars. So, 
I'd just like to acknowledge the men and the women behind bars who we seem to forget about. So shout out to them. Vince, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. All right. Cool. Take care. All right. Create Your Life Series family. That was another one of our amazing shows. Happy to have Mr. Vincent Bragg on. And as you know, we will be back next week. So be blessed and we will holla at you. Beautiful people. If you enjoyed this episode of the Create Your Life Series, be sure to download it from our podcast, which is available on createyourlifeseries.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music. Also, be sure to leave a review of the podcast. You can catch us live on Sundays from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via 90.3 FM in New York or on Facebook Live at facebook.com backslash kevbrown1. We encourage you to participate in the conversation on Facebook or call in at 212-650-6903. Follow us on Instagram at CYL Series and at Kevin Y. Brown. Be blessed, and we'll see you back here live next week. Create your life. 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 On skip your liver. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life.